Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Breaking news tonight as we kick off Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site. I'm Melissa Lee. Here tonight, Carter Worth, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Eisen. In just the last hour, a roller coaster of news for the Bitcoin markets. The SEC appearing to send a tweet just after the market closed that said it had granted approval for Bitcoin ETFs to list on all registered national securities exchanges. The agency's official X account quoting Chair Gary Gensler saying, Today's approval enhances market transparency and provides investors with efficient access to digital asset investments within a regulated framework. But minutes later, Gensler himself tweeted that the post was sent prematurely, saying, quote, the SEC Gov Twitter account was compromised and an unauthorized tweet was posted. The SEC has not approved the listing in trading of spot Bitcoin exchange traded products. Let's get straight to Kate Rooney, who's got the very latest on this developing story. Kate. Hey, Melissa. So we did get that tweet that X post by the SEC official account and SEC spokesperson later emailing saying attributable to a spokesperson. They say the SEC's account had been compromised. The unauthorized tweet regarding Bitcoin ETFs was not made by the SEC or its staff. You mentioned Gary Gensler. I also just spoke to one of the issuers with a uh, application out there. They said that they were in a bit of a panic mode. They said they had not gotten any word from the SEC. There was some confusion around that. It had also affected Bitcoin prices. You saw the price of Bitcoin slump and then later spike. So there is risk of potential market manipulation here. What that, you know, what the the reasoning behind that tweet was and whoever did this. The other theory that I've been talking to a couple other sources who are saying that this could have, it's also being interpreted as a potential mistake. They're saying, was this a tweet that was drafted and then sent too early, which we've seen before on earnings. No word yet on exactly how this happened, how this apparent hack or unauthorized tweet happened, but absolutely affecting prices. And this has been this highly anticipated piece of news the market has been waiting for, expecting at some point this week. So the timing is quite suspicious, Melissa, but uh, big market impacts here. Back yep. to you. Kate, Kate, thanks. Keep us posted on what you find out. Let's get to Eamon Javers, meantime, with more on the SEC hack, Eamon. Interesting, the SEC's got a problem on its hand <laughs> in yeah. terms of the use of Twitter for market manipulation. This time, the target is its own account. Yeah, they sure do, Melissa. And this is not new. We've seen this with Twitter accounts going back to 2020. There was an incident involving a number of high-profile people's accounts being hacked. That also uh, was related to uh, a cryptocurrency issue. Uh, So this happens uh, around this crypto theme from time to time. Uh, In this case, though, I think the key word to look at in the SEC's statement to us uh, is the word compromise. Uh, You know, Kate was just discussing whether or not this was sort of like a fat finger error on the part of somebody in the SEC comms department who tweeted out something uh, by accident that had been drafted before. That's certainly a possibility, but the SEC uses the word compromised uh, in their statement, which does indicate that they believe that somebody in an unauthorized way took over uh, that X or Twitter account, however we're calling it these days. I think that's something to watch for. And and because that has happened before, we can kind of trace where those come from. And generally speaking, what you're dealing with here is social engineering. Uh, A lot of times, 
sometimes it's just a phishing attack where somebody gets the login credentials or a straight up bribery attempt of somebody who does have the log login credentials uh, for a high profile account. And you can imagine that there are people who fit that description inside the SEC, but also potentially inside Twitter and or X under Elon Musk's management. Uh, you've got to imagine that there are quite a number of disgruntled uh, former X employees or Twitter employees out there who would be susceptible to any kind of reach out like that. So there's a lot of possibilities here, but I focus on that word compromise as an indication of what the SEC is thinking, at least initially, about how this happened, Melissa. So there are a lot, a lot of potential sources of the hack at this point, Eamon. And, and I, I think that what's interesting, too, is that this happens before an election year. So not only can companies be manipulated, but political news can be manipulated. Yeah. And that can also move the markets, particularly in a hotly contested election year. And that's the bridge we're going to sure. have to cross very soon. And this sort of just amplifies that issue. It's a really important point, Melissa. Everyone I have talked to who is an expert in this space thinks that 2024 is going to be a massive year for disinformation because it's a political election year. We're going to see a lot of stuff happening uh, on social media and elsewhere. This generative AI boom makes that potentially more uh, nefarious. We're also going to see, experts have told me, more nation states participating in the U.S. election and trying to move uh, results, move popular opinion through hacking and influence campaigns. Campaigns. Uh, so not just the Russians like we saw in 2016 with their influence campaign, uh, but also potentially uh, the Chinese, we, potentially some Middle Eastern entities, potentially uh, the Iranians all participating in this election year this year. So bottom line, as we begin 24, the lesson here is be careful what you read on social media. Not all of it is true. The other side of it, though, Eamon, is if it does come from within the SEC, that's also a huge problem. Imagine a hacker getting access to the Edgar database and filing yeah. a company filing, which is a fake one. I mean, that could easily yeah. move the markets as well. So, it, we've, you know, and we've we seen need hacks to figure like this that. out. We've seen hacks like that going back to 2015, right? I mean, there were, there were hacks of uh, PR wire services putting out face, uh, fake press releases in a pump-and-dump scam designed to, you know, just capture a quick trade on, on those entities. In a lot of those cases, they are able to unwind who did it. It sometimes takes a year or more to figure out who did it. But uh, people get caught doing this, and, and maybe that'll be the case here. We have to get more from the SEC on what exactly happened here. And interestingly, the SEC just put in place in December new rules for publicly traded companies which have to disclose their cyber incidents in a more timely fashion. Let's see if the SEC follows those same rules itself and discloses all the details around this in a timely fashion. Eamon, thank you. Keep us posted on any developments you that you find out. Eamon Jabbers in Washington for us. This is just a fascinating story. I mean, when Karen and I were in the green room getting ready for the show, we were sort of looking at the approval, thinking that it was a real approval. And we're right. watching you. You have sort of a playbook for when the approval actually happens because we saw the markets move on the back of it until, of course, we found out that it was a hack. I know that was your uh, observation, which is an excellent one, because it wouldn't be shocking to any of us to see this be a real piece of news. We're expecting not, it in not very, you know, in the next few days. That wouldn't be surprising. So I don't know where the term prematurely came from, but he seems to there was no decision. So uh, it, it's not like there was and they just haven't released it. Um, but I don't, it reminds me of the, glo the, the guy from the Global Association of Billionaires and Millionaires who made a bid for Marks and Spencer via a fake press release. Um, <laughs> this one is more real, looks more real, but I mean, we see it from time to time. It's just interesting to see, all right, do, were you surprised by anything that traded? 
Yeah, but I, I think the biggest issue is if you think it's market manipulation, if you told me that this tweet was going to come out and what Bitcoin would do one way or another, I wouldn't be able to tell you whether it was going to rally or sell off. So really, you got to come back to whether it was a compromise situation, the way Eamon laid out, or whether it was a hack. And if it's a hack, it's a serious problem, right? Compromise is more of a one-off situation. you got to speak, you got to broaden it out a little bit, right? So if we're talking about this election year, Eamon just told us how many different nation states want to push misinformation to kind of push their own agendas. And I think the biggest takeaway to me, and I've been saying this now for, I think, a year and a half or so, is that, you know, Twitter went from being this town square, right, this crowdsourced kind of town square sort of situation to a single point of failure for so many different organizations who will rely on this to now be their mouthpiece to whatever their constituencies are. And there's, again, then throw in all this stuff with these fakes and, um, you know, the, the pulling back from, you know, uh, safety and protocols that are existing on this platform and the like. And we know that they've scaled back this group. So if you are an organization, whether you're political, whether you're a corporation, whether you're anything, and you are relying on this to talk to your stakeholders or for branding or anything like that, you're doing it wrong right now because we've had 16, we've had 2020, we've had 2022, we've had all these situations over the last few years. And so to me, I just think it's funny that we're still talking about this because it's the same thing we're talking about eight years after we had uh, an election that was co-opted. Yeah. Sorry, I just, is it, we don't know if the, tw if the compromise is from Twitter or from the SEC. It, it, it sounds like the SEC, right, and not Twitter, where they could compromise okay. their PR account. But people have become accustomed to hearing yeah. official you know, notices yeah. through On this Twitter. sort of thing, and they're giving validation to that. Yeah, I think we can debate whether or not companies should or shouldn't, but I think we need to take into account of the fact that they, they do. And the impact that social media has in terms of dissemination of information across the board, not necessarily just Twitter. So I'm with you. I mean, I think now that it's been taken private, clearly we have less insight into what the goings on are at that particular company. But this, to Karen's point, this sounds like this was a failure in terms of the credentials on the SEC's point. And I think that should raise as much concern. That is our overarching governing body. And the fact that we're getting information that we've essentially been waiting for for the better part of a few months in terms of, re of the release of this, and we've been teasing up to this point, I think is equally concerning. So I, I, I do think clearly... You know, the things that have gone on at Twitter make it easy for us to attack there. I just do think that we should be holistic in how we look at this situation. I mean, for what we know, uh, price action was in line with presumptions, right? You, if approval were real, you would expect some sort of reaction. It was up as high as 48,000. Of course, now we're down 5% from that peak. But I think the market, while anticipating approval, it still did move when it thought that approval was in hand. Right. So what we saw move, I mean, if we were going to say, use this as sort of the playbook, we got the playbook for a Bitcoin ETF approval, approval correct. for five, a window of five minutes. But in that five minutes, what do we see? We saw Bitcoin move down a little bit. 3% up. Yeah. Coinbase down a little bit, 1.5%. Certainly not the huge moves. We were going no. through all the different things we thought would move. And they weren't moving as much as you would well, think. Yeah. Although it did have a little bit of a buy the rumor, sell the news strategy, right? Like there's right. been so much excitement about this. And obviously Bitcoin has moved so much that um, you would think sell the news would make sense. All right. Let's bring it to the conversation. Rick Heitzman, the founder and partner at FirstMark Capital. Um, Rick, great to have you with us. Interesting news that's <laughs> happened. Yes. You sort of, you know... You, you are in that world, uh, and I'm wondering, you know, what your, your take is. It, is it 
the fault of Twitter? Is it where would you go first? I think it's too early to know, but I'd probably go to, you know, it's usually people who make these mistakes. Yeah. And is it the people at the SEC who pressed who had a fat finger mistake or is it someone at Twitter and are there rules? So I think the SEC has to go deeper on Twitter, especially as that organization's been generally gutted over the since it's gone private and make sure that things that can affect the market, affect the political landscape are handled properly. For the companies that you're invested in, do they use Twitter as a way of disseminating market-moving information? Constantly. Constantly. Okay, so they announce earnings, they announce mm -hmm. material hires, they announce all kinds of material things on Twitter. So that's a really a place of record. And so if you're, an, if you're getting sold in M&A, which was the ultimate market-moving thing, you have, to have, you have to be locked down. So what does that mean? Um, and I think it's probably even taken more seriously now than it did when Elon Musk was tweeting out, I'm, I'm going private at 420 a share. And, you know, and now it, it, more seriously everyone takes it, the more important it is for us to safeguard it. Does this make you rethink? I mean, if it is, if, if Twitter was the point of failure, does this make you rethink as somebody who's an investor in a lot mm -hmm. of these companies? This is not a good way. We've got to think of something else. Or we have to high, uh, increase the accountability. Mm -hmm. So, if, if this is this a safe and trusted place where you can disseminate information, where you can where you can manage your profile, and is this the way you're going to talk to your parties and interests, your customers, your investors, your stakeholders, or does there have to be a better way that people will move off to a Discord or move off to another channel where they feel like that's a more safe, uh, secure place? So, Rick, I don't know if you remember this, but we met on the set of Fast Money in November of 2013. It was the week wow. that Twitter went public. Okay, yes. and you were coming. You came on. I, I guess the question was, what is the next short, inter short decade, What is the next decade. internet stock? Uh, your hair was a little darker. Uh, the next <laughs> internet. Yeah, <laughs> what was the next internet stock to go public? Okay, that was what we were talking about. Is on the set downstairs. All right. When you think about this, let's bookend this to where yes. we are right now. Okay, because Twitter would be well below its IPO price from November of 2013 right now. As an early stage investor, what do you see in the consumer space? What do you see in the social media space? Because the only company that's really been successful, I think, the last 10 years has been TikTok, and TikTok has all the same concerns that we're talking about right now. Now as it relates Security to misinformation yeah, and all that sort of and, stuff. And maybe even more. So they're actually, you know, they're now asking for things like what's your unlock for your phone. And so there's many more backdoors in TikTok than anywhere else. The problem has been that the consumer experience hasn't evolved, right? So the, the things that you, you look at what your kids use for social media apps, it's still Snap. It's still Instagram. It's still all those communication and messaging that it's all on the old framework. You know, you need Discord has been the big winner and the big emergent power in social, uh, but probably doesn't have the consumer scale or the name or brand recognition that some of the older players have. But hopefully this is this is, you know, what's the next version? Oh, this is next version is more secure. The next version is more trusted. The next version is how, you know, companies talk to investors in a safe and secure way. So a lot of these crises create opportunity for the emerging companies. Who do you think would benefit? I mean, if, if people looked at Twitter and said, because of this, we, we understand now that Twitter may not be as secure as mm -hmm. we believe. What is the alternative? I don't I mean, I don't think it's threats. I mean, that's uh, some people would say it's right. threats. I think threads is kind of DOA. I think you're going to move to, hey, could you have a uh, discord server? 
and that Discord server would have a lot more security around who joins the server, who's the administrator of the server, who's in and around it. And that has a whole bunch of different ways that people use Discord servers for commerce, for communication, for secure and private access that you know companies could turn and say, I need to have a better one-on-one -on -one relationship with my stakeholders, with my investors, especially as I'm announcing material non-public information. So how do I do this and will someone work with me to create that safe and secure place? And I think that's probably a big opportunity. So if anyone out there is doing that, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> You're looking for a new investment. Um, before we go off to talk about yeah. you know tech in general and, and investments, I'm just curious. You know, you're part of the tech community, and so when you take a look at these things happening as we enter an election cycle, mm -hmm. where the possibility of these types of events happening more and more to potentially even more detriment. I mean, this was sort of a minor incident in that yeah. the damage was contained, it was okay. caught quickly, and it was denied that it was a real tweet. There can be another circumstance where we don't know that it's fake. Mm -hmm. It happens longer, and the effect is much deeper and long, longer lasting yes. um, in many ways. And so who who should be responsible? And I ask that sort of in a general societal sort of point of view, because the government would probably want to say we want to be responsible. The tech community probably wants to say, no, we, we can be responsible. And yet what what have we here? I don't think either of them could be as responsible because the quality of generative AI is increasing so quickly that the quality of these deep fakes are, are so real, they're so good, and they can be created very easily and distributed very quickly. So I don't think anyone could put, have enough fingers to put in the dam to make this happen. I think the government moves too slow. The government hasn't set out regulations to do that. And I think the individual platforms, as hard as they try, are still susceptible. So there probably needs to be rules of the road. And I think with political ramifications or financial ramifications, someone needs to do something. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there, Rick. Great to have you with us. Great. <laughs> Thanks for playing uh, playing along with us. No today. problem. First Thank capital. you. We're going to continue to follow the story. Any news we get, we'll bring it to you immediately. Um, meantime, let's uh, we will continue our breaking news coverage right after this. A cybersecurity expert will join us. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Eli Lilly CEO David Ricks taking the stage at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference this hour. In fact, uh, should be there right now. We are watching the comments. We'll bring you all the headlines. Shares of Lilly closed the day just off record highs. The stock has been soaring on demand for its obesity drugs, but investors are also awaiting news of potential Alzheimer's treatments. Here's what Ricks had to say about that earlier today on Squawk on the Street. The thing that probably at Lilly we're most excited about is what we call the Trailblazer 3 study, which is fully accrued now and will read out in a few years. This seeks to take people before they have Alzheimer's, have amyloid in their head, so the risk factor, and delay 
uh, that diagnosis or prevent it. That's the goal of the study. We have to prove that, but that's a few years out. So that, and then just in the next year or so, there are six basically trial readouts concerning uh, terzepatide and Eli Lilly for various trials. One is due out January 10th, a readout of a phase two trial using terzepatide to treat um, fatty liver syndrome in uh, obese patients and patients with type two diabetes. So there are a lot of different catalysts for the stock to move it higher here. I mean, it, but the, I don't know if how many of them are already priced in. I mean, there, there's a lot of excitement around this stock, clearly. And we were just talking in the break. There, there just seems to be one good news story after another here. I don't know if eventually there'll be one that isn't so good and it'll trade off. Um, but also there is this other potential engine of Alzheimer's, right. which I don't know how much that's priced in. I'm long. It's hard to say on a valuation basis. You got to be there. But... I'm staying long for the story. Well, what does the chart say, Carter? Well, I mean, talk about the definition up and to the right. Uh, but what's sort of interesting day to day is that this is basically the same price it was in September. So this sideways action after the preceding big move is the pause typically that allows you to go again. I, I would concur, as they say. I'd be long with you. This is like the uh, NVIDIA hmm. of pharma, hmm. Bonoin. And you own NVIDIA. Uh, I do. I still do. You own Lily. I do not own Lily and wish I had, but uh, <laughs> I can't, can't win them all. Um, listen, I, I'm in agreement with the others, although I will say I don't know what the incremental move higher comes from. I don't know what that catalyst is. If the roles have been reversed and essentially the Alzheimer's drug essentially had had the move, I would say, okay, this obesity drug definitely can take things for the next leg higher. To Karen's point, how much of this is priced in? And so I just think part of it is just order of operations that everything else is probably is, is seen as a secondary or tertiary effect after just the the massive move that we've seen around these two particular stocks, Novo and Lilly. Yeah, and I guess the story for NVIDIA going, you know, to $1.3 trillion in market cap is growing into that valuation. It's something that I kind of got um, a little behind last year when you're thinking about the TAM. The difference here is that people are not double and triple ordering GLP-1s. They are not thinking about what this means for hypertension, for fatty liver, for sleep apnea. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? So, like, this is a stock that if you're thinking about $18 in earnings in 2025, maybe $25 in earnings in 2026, it could easily grow into that valuation over the next couple of years. And Guy says, he's been saying this all year long, since the stock doubled in March, you just buy this stock on pullbacks. You don't have to buy it when it's breaking out like here. And to Carter's point, that it actually has gone sideways, much like NVIDIA did before it just ripped 15% in a straight line over the last week. But throw in all of these sorts of trials for other use cases yeah. for these drugs, okay? And then it just expands the addressable market for it. And then if there's any success in Alzheimer's, what are things that people, I don't want to be fat and I don't want to get crazy when I'm old. And so those <laughs> two things, right, right, right. Well, okay, thank you, Karen. And believe it or not, we are great friends, I know, people. We are. I just want to tell everybody that. But like, if NVIDIA, okay, got 15%. It got $150 billion in market cap in the last week because they're selling our biggest foreign adversary, adversary, uh, you know, AI chips. Okay, I think we could see yeah. we could see this stock at a trillion dollars at some point in the next few years, based on an Alzheimer's approval and GLP. So embedded in that, yeah. 
is a would you rather, and oh. you'd rather Lily over NVIDIA, even 100%. though you did like NVIDIA the other day. You're saying it does look. Well, like I said that at 490, chart. and I said from a chart perspective, from a trade perspective, from you know a whole host of other things. I did quote my main man Carter Braxton Worth. Yeah. That was the impetus <laughs> yeah. for this thing, and I did say I see a breakout. This one is a long-term invest. I mean, listen, the other one's great. It's fine. You know what I mean? Not, never sell your NVIDIA people. Um, but I'm just saying, at one point, NVIDIA is going to start to sell off, and you're not going to want to buy it because it's going to get cut in half. Lily, their drugs are going to have to kill people for it to sell off and get cut in half. Remarkably, and like Lily is not popular on the street. And you say, what are you talking about? The price uh, target from 40 analysts is 1% higher. That's a 12-month price target. So it's hardly a, a consensus view that this has got a lot of upside. Their view is actually that it's all priced in. Hmm. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Cinema Shuffle, the studio behind blockbusters like The Hunger Games and John Wick, is making some movie moves. What the new biz will look like and the SPAC deal helping them get there. Plus, Tim flexed his bicep while Dan rode on his zebra trade. And now, Carter and Bonowin are laying out their 2024 acronyms. So grab a shovel and an adapter. They'll help you with these next picks. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. While some media companies are fighting cord cutting and other industry headwinds by consolidating their businesses, one key player is bucking the trend. Lionsgate announcing in December plans to spin off its studio business from Stars via SPAC, creating a dedicated public firm for its TV and film assets. The deal giving Lionsgate Studios an enterprise value of roughly $4.6 billion. Joining us on set in person to go inside the deal, Lionsgate Vice Chairman Michael Burns. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Great to see you in person. I feel like I'm coming home to a new set. <laughs> you are. Welcome home. Um, so tell us about this. Uh, it seems like this sets the company up to be bought. Is that the right takeaway from this? I think it sets the company up to show real value to the shareholders. Everybody talks about the sum of the parts and yap, 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 and what happens is that nobody does anything. We're actually going to show the sum of the parts by dividing the company separating the companies that Stars and Lionsgate, separate companies, are more valuable. Well, part of the issue I think that investors had with the com combined company was that um, another company might not be interested in the Stars part or vice versa. Now that you're separating it, somebody can come in and take the Stars and somebody else can come in and take the TV and studio assets. Well, there's that too. <laughs> so you have, uh, you have a dis different set of buyers potentially or merger partners or strategic alliances with Stars as you do with the, uh, different, the studio. So the studio is that we're giving investors the, the chance to invest in the pure play content, content side of the business. So our library is over 20,000 titles with the E1 transaction. We have an enormous amount of content. We were talking about John Wick earlier. So I was flying on American Airlines here, and I got the last upgraded seat, and I was flipping through the movie section, and it was, it was uh, all movies, and I went through 50 movies, and 19 of the titles on the plane were Lionsgate titles. From Twilight to Hunger Games to Divergent to John Wick, it was nice to see. 
Wow. So you actually thumb through all of the, I mean, the person next to you must think that you're just very indecisive. Well, I was taking, I was taking, I was taking yeah, that's right. I was taking pictures. They thought I was insane. Um, the landscape, though, right now is that media companies, um, they have their own problems. They're burdened with debt. They have streaming platforms that are basically um, drags on their profitability at this point. If you think about some sort of partnership or some sort of a merger of the TV and studio assets with somebody else, who are those potential? What is a landscape? Well, I think that if you look at stars, stars, by the way, is, in my opinion, misunderstood. They're making money. Uh, they're switching over to digital. Jeff Hirsch and his team are doing a really good job there. Um, we'll, you'll know more about that at our next earnings call. Um, they're growing. Their subs are growing. They're not losing you know, billions and billions of dollars. Lionsgate is going to be a pure play studio. And we're in a situation where we want people to recognize what we have. The multiples on stars versus the multiples on a pure play content business are usually very different. When we were a pure play content play, we traded at the mid to high uh, uh, teens on a multiple standpoint. Stars isn't going to get that kind of multiple, uh, but we do believe there are very different potential partners on both sides of the business. Yeah, you know, I've known Jeff Hirsch for a while, great operator too, and very creative guy. Um, let me ask you this though, when you think about like the content, you said it's king right here, right? Like what is one of the biggest misperceptions in the sentiment shift that we've seen towards streaming, right? We saw the kind of bundling, right, of delivery mechanism and content now. We're seeing a bit of unbundling, right? Because let's say the public markets in certain instances have not really appreciated those combinations. What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are and, and why have we seen this sentiment shift over let's say the last five years or so? Look, when we made a big investment, didn't work out internationally for stars. We were just too early. It's like the entrepreneur that, or the, the venture capitalist that, that's too early, you know what you call them, bankrupt. So we're in a position where we rolled out internationally a, too, a little bit too aggressively. We pulled that back. We've gone out of the international territories because we think we can make a lot of money domestically uh, on stars, particularly as they migrate to more digital. I think that the amount of money, we're not subject to what a lot of the other legacy partners are where they've got these giant infrastructures and they have to feed the beast to keep their subscribers growing. So we're in a very uh, different position. Stars is making money. Our studios, you can see we publicly filed it. We had a, a, a form uh, 10 that we filed. Um, we projected through 25. We talked about how much money we're going to make post E1. We, this transaction that we're going out with is a 10.7 multiple of uh, fiscal 25 which starts on April 1st. So we think we're pricing the first part of this transaction well. We've just finished a pipe, bunch of blue chip investors, oversubscribed. Um, so we feel when we do the, the rest of the transaction at the end of March, it's gonna go pretty well. And then if we set the mark and the floor for the studio, and then obviously when you do that, you also set a mark for, for stars, we think one and one's gonna be a lot more than two, and we're, we're actually gonna prove that to the marketplace. So just on the SPAC structure, so you have the pipe, do you have enough cash that you need that even if you see big redemptions that you're able to close? There are always big redemptions. Right. So yeah. you got to be, yeah. We, we, if you do the math, it's a pretty big, it's a Harry Sloan um, SPAC. He's done very well. We had DraftKings. You had one of the original investors in DraftKings earlier. Um, only 23% of the $750 million has to stick for us to get to our number of 350 to $400 million. I will tell you that the roadshow that we did was very well received. We were oversubscribed. I expect it's going to go well. I'm pretty confident that we're going to uh, close that uh, in a nice place. 
when you come back here on set at the NASDAQ market site in a year, hopefully you come back sooner, but let's say in a year, um, will uh, Lionsgate Studio TV, will you have a partner? Are you actively shopping for one right now? We're, we're not shopping. What, what we're doing is we're looking at this in steps. We're looking, this is a very significant step to separating both sides of the business. We're going to have 13 to 15% of the studio trading publicly. The other 87 to 85% will be inside the parent company. Obviously, we're going to go towards full separation in the near future so that we have we set a value for both sides of the business. Is the company going to be sold? I don't know. Um, do I think that there are a lot of interesting, interesting potential partners? I can tell you that our library of over 20,000 titles with $875 million of revenue, high margin business, that's attractive to a lot of places. And I always laugh when some of the big streamers say, well, we're, we're, not, we're only going to make our own uh, uh, content and we're not going to license others. Cut to, cut to, to uh, Suits, which does incredibly well, and then we license four of our our uh, television series. So our movies, our television series are in high demand. I don't think that's stopping uh, anytime soon. And I think there are a lot of particular, uh, particularly um, strategic opportunities for us to align with somebody that can turbocharge a lot of the studio business. Michael, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. It's nice to see all of you. Good to see Michael you. Michael Burns of Lionsgate. Coming up, we've got more SEC headlines. A cybersecurity expert joins us next to talk about the hack. And we've got two more trader acronyms coming your way. Carter and Bonowin have their picks for 2024. We're going to dig into that later in the show. The big reveal when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing out the day mix. The Dow and S&P trimming earlier losses, but still ending in the red, while the Nasdaq squeezed out a small gain. It's third positive session in a row. The OIH oil services ETF dropping more than 2% today. This despite crude finishing the day 2% higher as overseas tensions bumped prices. Crude still lower on the week after yesterday's losses. The FXI China large cap index, meantime, hitting new 52-week lows, adding on to the losses from 2023. The FXI is down nearly 30% over the past year. And Tesla dropping more than 2% today, the company lowering its driving range estimates for several of its electric vehicles. This after a new U.S. testing regulation went into effect to make sure automakers are accurately showing real-world performance. Let's get more on the uh, SEC Bitcoin headlines that broke in just the past hour. SEC Chair Gary Gensler saying an earlier tweet from the agency that said Bitcoin ETFs had been approved. That tweet was unauthorized. For more on the implications, let's bring in Dmitry Alperovich, Silverado Policy Accelerator's executive chairman and the co-founder of CrowdStrike. He joins us on the fast line. Dmitry, great to speak with you. Thank you for having me. When you take a look at what's going on, um, what, what's your initial take? What are the questions that you initially ask? Well, this is a really big deal because this is actually the first Twitter hack that I can remember, and there have been so many of them, that actually was really, really smart and that uh, was able to move the markets by $22 billion, almost $23 billion in market cap for Bitcoin. So someone could have really cleaned up here. This wasn't just a prank, as we've seen in the past, where they're posting some scam or some message that is really irrelevant to the markets. This was clearly designed to make some money here. And I'm sure that companies like Chainalysis and other blockchain uh, transaction uh, investigative companies are tracking this right now, trying to figure out who could have possibly benefited from it. Um, it but when, when it comes to figuring out who might have been behind this breach, this hack, uh, where would you go first as a security expert? Well, I would be looking at the transactions on the blockchains. And, of course, mm. the great thing about the blockchain is that everything is recorded. So even though it's pseudonymous and you may not know exactly who's behind it right away, 
every transaction is available for you. So anyone that is placing uh, bets on Bitcoin that it would go up um, right before uh, this tweet, you want to look very carefully. And then anyone who's selling uh, minutes into it uh, is, a, is a potential uh, uh, someone who's potentially tied to the fact. So basically, you're saying that, that you would trace who made the most money off this trade, and therefore you'd find the person who probably funded the hack of whatever it may be, whether it be Twitter or the SEC itself? That's certainly uh, the first lead you want to investigate. It doesn't necessarily mean that that person is going to be responsible, but it's uh, as good of a start as any. From your standpoint, Dimitri, is this easy to do? I mean, you mentioned this is the first hack where you saw money actually being made. And we've seen other instances fairly recently, I think within the past year, for instance, of a, a AI-generated photo of the Pentagon in flames. And that actually moved the S&P 500. I mean, there are various examples. Here you can actually quantify the dollar amount, which, you move, you know, which the Bitcoin market moved by. But there are other ways to move the markets as well. Is this easy to do in your view? I mean, if you're going to hire a hacker, can you do this? <laughs> It's certainly possible, but I can tell you, hacking an account of a major organization like the SEC is generally not easy. Many of them will have what's known as multi-factor authentication enabled, which means that you don't just need their password, you also need a one-time code that would be generated. And, you know, one thing that uh, I'm really curious about here is that there's been another profile hack just on Friday of a major cybersecurity company that's usually also very good on security. So um, uh, one of the questions I have right now is, is this a hack of SEC or their Twitter account, or is this potentially a problem with the, the X itself, uh, the platform, where someone may have been able to get to the back end and reset passwords uh, and gain access to a number of accounts? So it could be much broader than just this one organization that was compromised here. So are you trying to link the two potentially that, I mean, cybersecurity, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And so if you, if you hire a cybersecurity company or any other company to, to do work for you and there's a backdoor into that company, they then have a backdoor into yours. Are you saying that hack of the cybersecurity company on Friday could have contributed to this in some way? No, no, no. no, no, no. What I'm saying is that someone could have hacked X or Twitter itself and gained right, access okay. to the accounts of both. So. Um, the fact that th- these are happening uh, within days of each other is really, really suspicious. And we know that in the past, people have been able to get a- access to Twitter accounts by compromising the organization or social engineering employees within it or even bribing them. So it's happened before. We know that, of course, Elon has fired so many people inside the company. We don't know how many people are left in- inside their security team. So it's quite possible that the issue is on that side. Is it your impression that Twitter's security is porous? Well, it's been poor for quite uh, some time, for many years, and uh, I find it hard to believe that after firing more than half of the employee base, it's gotten any better. All right. Dimitri, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much. Dimitri Oterovich, Silverado Policy. Um, And I guess I asked the question porous, meaning, you know, ways to sort of seep into it. Um, probably goes. He thought it was poor, but it's a save. It's poor. It's, it's poor. <laughs> but if it's poor, it's poor. That's yeah. that's for sure. All right. Coming up, the fast money trader acronyms. All week long, we are unveiling the names they are placing their bets on. One of them is getting electrical. The other is on the hunt for new real estate. That's next. Fast money's back in two.
Welcome back to Fast Money. This week, we are revealing the Fast Money Traders 2024 acronyms. They've been busy getting these names ready. Today, we have Bonowin and Carter. So, Bonowin, we'll kick it off with you. What is your acronym for 2024? 2024 acronym is DIGS. And so let's start with the D, DXJ. As you know, I've been bullish Japan. Clearly, there's been, you know, the earthquake and perhaps a little bit of uh, movement in terms of uh, monetary policy. So I want the hedged version there. Um, I also think that, listen, M&A is probably here to stay, particularly in the healthcare space. IBB, I want exposure to those smaller companies that are likely going to drive growth for the larger players. Uh, G, gold. Listen, I, I think it's uh, it's an understatement to say, truly, this can be a binary year. We expected a recession last year. It didn't happen. Now we're expecting rate cuts. Those may not happen. Gold gives me some comfort there and is a hedge against reflation. And then small caps. Again, me trying to find a, a home run here. So if there is going to be growth and continued upside, I think that next leg likely comes from small caps. All right. Carter, what is your acronym? Plug. This is what I'm plugging. Uh, P-L-U-G. So we've got two small caps. P is for Peloton. L is for Lincoln National, 120-year-old uh, life insurance company. Both are around 2 to $4 billion market cap, so small. U-N-H-U, that's the 11th largest stock in the entire market at 500-plus billion. Uh, big, uh, dedicated, safe healthcare name, and G is for gold, GLD or gold. So P L U G. We've got a financial, we've got a consumer discretion, we have a commodity, and we have a big healthcare name. Two small cap, one super cap. That's U N H and one commodity, GLD. What's funny is that somebody picked up Peloton because Tim had the acronym Bicep, and the P when we were, when Guy was trying to dissect what Bicep stood for, he thought P might be Peloton, but it was actually PayPal. So that's just a swing from the fence is sort of it's going to get taken. Well, down. these are it's a lot of tickets. Same as PayPal. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about things that are down 70, 80, 90 percent that are basing and either they're just going to walk along and do nothing or or come to life. Mel, how old is this show? Oh, 17, <laughs> 17, 17 years. years. OK, so we've been doing this acronym thing for a long time. Not guy so guy is the goat. He's the OG. He's the yes. only one. OK. Who is S small caps, dude? We do, we do tickers. Like, what, what do you like? Oh seriously, like it should be Russell. Too, yeah. You know? so, so, Mel, you said you wanted to fight before the show. You <laughs> I'm not. Got I didn't one. Want to you, yeah. you got one. Good job. So change yeah. it to <laughs> change it to Giddy Gold. What was I? So we have fun with yes, the way you, you do the, yes, the acronym you know, game all hey, year long. Okay. 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 I'm just telling you. Rules are made to be broken. All right, fair okay. enough. But which, which instrument are you using to reflect small caps? IWM. Okay. Uh, so then you Digi. 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 You could have been yeah. Digi. Well, let's just change that. Sandy, can we get, can we get on that? Oh, Please, Digi. Goodness. All right, work on you. it, he says. Sandy, right. Sandy, our executive producer, says he'll work on it. Coming up, I'm sure it's top of his list, <laughs> biotechnicals. We are turning through the charts for a look at what could be a year of M&A madness and more for the space. The chart master will deliver his top picks right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earlier this hour, we spoke about Eli Lilly trading near all-time highs. Merck also setting a record today. But is there more room to run for any of these pharma names? The Chartmaster's three picks in healthcare, he says, are way better than a pair of twos in 2024. Carter. Well, we shall see. But uh, I got three names. Two are up and to the right, stay long, be long. And then the third is something that's really lagged that is coming to life. But let's go one at a time. So the first, and you'll see it on the screen, is Regeneron. That is the definition of a steady orderly uptrend with nice checkbacks, which is a counter trend moves, which reset the stock, uh, stay long, be long. 
The next is Vertex. These are both sort of 100 billion plus VRTX, and you almost can't see that the chart changed. Again, the definition of an orderly uptrend and so much better than the healthcare sector. Now, the third is a different circumstance altogether, a real laggard, right? And you can see it here, Medtronic, something that really took a hit, but has all the elements of a base and a bottom, or what I would characterize as a bearish to bullish reversal buy. All right, Vertex is sort of interesting from a fundamental standpoint. They're developing a, a non-opioid painkiller, which could be the holy grail in the in the opioid markets. But I think everybody here likes healthcare to some extent. Yes, I mean, well, some of the stocks that I've owned just got had a terrible 22, uh, 23 after a great 22. Uh, names like Merck didn't do well. Pfizer, of course, my Pfizer yeah. really did terribly. I don't know that that's bottom. Bristol Myers also one of them. But I think there's a lot of value in the space. Yeah. XLV, interesting way to play it. And so you look at the top three holdings. Eli Lilly is about 10%. Your UNH there, Carter, is about 10%. And then you have Johnson Johnson, Merck, and the rest of them. And that has just rallied 15% from 52-week lows in two and a half months to new 52-week highs broke out. That looks interesting to me, especially if it were to pull back to that kind of breakout level. That might be a good level to start getting into the XLV. Yeah, I just really think that 2023 has kind of changed the dynamic in terms of how we think about healthcare. It's traditionally viewed as a defensive, but if, if, if we didn't see growth in 2023 from these names, I think that I don't know what you're expecting. So I think it gives you actually a barbell within a subsector. I mean, healthcare's relative performance to the S&P peaked in 2015. We're coming up on a decade of, of, of a struggle. And um, then you had all the uh, sort of plunging names associated with Ozempic and what was going to go on there, then the recovery. Um, and now uh, the question is, this third largest sector, right, in terms of weight in the S&P, is it going to generate alpha in 2024? And that's the bet, right? I mean, as right. a portfolio manager, do you over or underweight a group, a theme, a sector? And uh, at this point, my own hunch is it's going to be a market performer, not a big outperformer, but will pace the S&P. So far, it's been generating, it's been doing better than the S&P. That's right, after particularly bad, right, right, exactly. particularly bad 2023. All right. Meantime, uh, we've got some breaking news on a deal that we've been waiting for basically all day here. HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, making it official and saying it is acquiring Juniper Networks in an all-cash deal, valuing the company at 40 bucks a share or $14 billion. That's more than 8% higher than where shares closed today, 35% above where they closed yesterday uh, before the headlines broke. What do you make of this deal initially? Interesting. We're seeing this, though, across the tech space in general. Low-growth companies looking for slightly higher growth, but it's more about the end markets in which they serve, and I think that probably serves HPE pretty decently as it relates to Juniper, but this is a company, man. I remember it. This was one of the biggest bubble stocks back in the day, and to see it go out for $40. I mean, I think it was $250, and it's going out for $40. Right. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Carter. Lincoln National Life Insurance. Bombed out stock. Looks to be bottom. Karen. Yes. All this talk about health care. One way to play it is the IBB biotech. Dan, I'm glad you mentioned Fast Money's 17th anniversary. Oh. Yeah. yeah. 17 years. Happy. Quite a Crazy. Feat. Yep. Um, I like his digi. Um, and, and, and I'd be a buyer of XLV on pullbacks. Bonwin likes his digi, too, except he calls it digs. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so in other news, if um, an SEC hack and a run on digital gold doesn't make you want the real thing, I don't know what will. GLD. All right, thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.